what's going on, everyone? This is Nolan Sammer with Infinite Banking Radio, and this is another episode of the CRE Collective, where we're basically going over commercial real estate investing, talking back and forth about the differences between full-service leases, like what you have in residential leases, and the differences with commercial leases, which are triple net leases, meaning that the tenant is actually responsible for all the outgoings. They, they pay for the property taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance. And so in this episode, we're actually going to be going over how some other people in our group are, are trying to utilize and find those tenants that are out there that are wanting to do those types of deals and transactions. And uh, it's an awesome, awesome deal for both the tenant and the landlord, and it'll explain away uh why it actually is advantageous for the tenant and also the landlord on both sides of the coin. So if you have interest in becoming a part of our CRE collective or joining our mastermind, there's going to be a link in the bio in the description of this episode that you can click to actually get on my calendar and we can actually discover if this is going to be a great fit for you or if it's not. But uh, if not, listen along and see if maybe you can pick up on some of the vocabulary some of the ins and the outs that we talk about and, and the information that you can maybe utilize, whether you are in commercial real estate, maybe you're just in residential or multifamily right now, but you're trying to make that jump into the next. But uh, if not, you're trying to figure out the next step, we'd love to have you in the CRE Collective. And uh, follow along, listen up, and we hope to see you on the other side. Talk soon. Yeah. Hey, hey guys. So I'm from Iowa. I'm from over in Ames, uh, where Iowa State University is at. Um, I live with my wife and our one-year-old son, Carter. So uh, I'm learning how to do that and and uh, have a job and do all this stuff and be his dad at the same time. So um, we've got one property here in Ames, and uh, I'm just looking into get get looking into getting into the commercial space. So that's why I'm here. So love it. That's awesome, man. Well, the good news is we've got a great community of everybody in here that's that's all in the same boat of wanting to, again, acquire commercial real estate, industrial warehouse, you know, that kind of thing. So, <clears throat> the right place. So, um, all right. Well, if anybody else has anything um, on their mind, I wanted to see if anyone had any kind of some big wins this week, anything that, you know, they, they had some meetings lined up, anything that's um, going on that is, is a win for, because um, we didn't get together last week. No uh, I don't know. I finally talked to a few potential investors. I count that as a win for myself. So we're still trying yeah. to line up some more, talk to a few bankers, leasing agents kind of been, I've been more active with that. So that's good for me to get out and do that. Well, what, what, what I was going to say too is, is just my going on what you're talking about. It's out of the gate. I feel like anything, you know, not that, not to say that you can't go out and just, automatically talk to people or whatever, but doing it once or twice, it feels a little like awkward or you're like, eh, you know, do I really want to go? But then once you do it once or twice, you're like, okay, I can got the hang of this. This really isn't that hard or for somebody that's more introverted or not, whether that's you or whatever, just saying, but you do it once or twice and you start to discover like, okay, what's, what's the pitch here? Like, you know, what am I, what am I, you know, Hey, hey, Mr. Investor Guy, here's what I'm looking for. This is exactly what I'm doing here. He's going to probably love the fact that you are like know exactly what you're looking for. You've got some knowledge and understanding. That way he's not going to, he's like, okay, this guy actually knows what he's talking about, what he's looking for. Um, he'll be, you know, I'd say a, 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 an opportunity to be a business partner and, and sell some real estate or lease some real estate to you. So the more you do that, the more your pitch gets better, of course, like anything else. And before you know it, you, you'll have four or five of those guys sending you deals, you know, every week and things like that. So, you know, I'll, I don't want to keep talking, but I, so I'm more introverted. I think what, what really, with a couple people I've talked to is this group, I've really tried to sell it as, and I think it's true, right? As like-minded individuals, 10, 15 people every week, that's what we talk about. We talk about deals, you know, yeah. I tell your stats, Nolan, to be honest, you know, just say, look, here, yeah. here's what he's done for the last five years. Here's what Luke. You know, I'm looking to do and, and, you know, just I think that adds credibility, to be frank, just like minded people talking about these kinds of things. Well, to, to, to go even further, too, it's like you said, you're putting yourself out there and you say, hey, this is this is, you know, what we're doing. This is what we're accomplishing, things like that. It's going to help you. Um, again, you're, you're speaking the lingo because I've discovered, too, like, you know, if you read something in your you know, if you're reading something, 
but then you say it out loud, I think it just makes it a whole lot better for whatever you're going to do before. So have you, have you discovered that? Like when you're out there actually talking with people, um, you know, you, you, well, you I have to talk again. Sorry guys. I'll, I'll add one more point. With the, yeah. I was talking to a banker and I used the phrase DSCR and he literally said, oh, okay, so you've been doing your research. Like, it, you know, it just snapped, which obviously I wouldn't have used that phrase six months ago. Right. So. Well, that's a good little win. I mean, you're already, I mean, that's, that's something said even six months ago that you probably wouldn't have done or thought of anyway. So, um, what is everybody else? What's been going on with everybody else? Anybody have uh, hang up struggles, wins, anything in between that they're that they're you know trying to a hump they're trying to get over? Anything in between? All right. Well, I'll give a quick story of um, I was over and and I did a video about this, so I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but but. Uh, I was over in um, Elberton, Georgia on last Thursday. And Elberton, Georgia is about an hour east of Atlanta. And Elberton has the the world's largest um, granite quarries in the world. So granite. So I, I would so I, I challenge you guys, if you haven't already seen my my little video, what when you think of granite, what what um, initially pops up in your mind when you think of granite? Countertops. 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 That's exactly what I said. Okay. I had this guy send me some property over there in Elberton. There's like 6,000 people. So it's the granite, the granite countertop of the world. And I was like, so what? And uh, I'm looking at what's going on. The biggest product for granite is tombstones. It's headstones. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, and so I, yeah, Connor gets it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the chat there. It's like, I was like, whoa, okay, so maybe there is something to to this area and this location. But I was out, out of the gate, I was like writing it off. So I had this guy, and this is and this is kind of I, I think for everyone, like the like I would say the power of putting yourself out there and having those conversations with people because this guy approached me and was like, Hey, um, I've I've got this deal tied up in Elberton, uh, you know, Georgia. I actually drove over there because I was like, I, you know, I want to actually get my eyes on this to see if this, you know, what this is all about. And um, come to find out like this one guy, this seller, he had like 40,000 square feet. He had like 20 tenants and all these bays. It wasn't triple net, of course, but, but he also had all of this land that people are just storing granite on. And so there's a lot of upside and opportunities to, um, to, you know, do a deal, but to, to come full circle, what I was going to mention was, um, why this, you know, I guess the story behind it was when I was, uh, over there talking with this guy, this is like his first deal. And this is maybe some advice to everyone is on, it was like his first deal. He's like, he got this guy, you know, dialed up, fired up to sell, you know, whatever. And, and he started getting like a really emotionally attached to the deal, right? He'd been talking back and forth with this guy, you know, he'd flown in, he bought this guy a bottle of some booze, you know, whatever. He was like really trying to like smooth this seller. And, and then he starts getting like real fidgety. He's like, Oh my God, like, I just don't want to lose this deal. But it's like talking really fast and trying to, I just don't want to lose a deal. Don't want to lose a deal because if this guy doesn't carry a second position and starts getting like really fidgety. And I was like, Matt, dude, calm down for a second. Let's like, at the, cause there's another person involved. There's a wholesaler and they got a deal tied up. There's like some layers to it. But I was like, at the end of the day, this guy's going to do what's best for him. The bottle of booze, he's going to drink it, but he's going to do what's best for him, whether it's he's selling it to us or selling it to somebody else. So I would say that I told him, I was like, removing the emotions and then presenting the evidence and presenting like a pro forma and the numbers to these guys when you're selling, when, when you're potentially buying something, it's like, and, and I'll lead into this and I want to kind of go over some more about the seller financing stuff unless, you know, we have other questions and things like that. But, um, but basically like if we can stay emotionless when we're presenting offers to, to buy or to, to sellers, we're going to be in a lot better position because, Again, this guy's getting super emotional about stuff. And I'm just like, 
what what do you you know what's what's the point of you getting all emotional and tied up about something where this other guy's got the deal tied up for the next three weeks anyway? So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that was like going forward or backward, but just not um, getting emotional and just presenting. Hey, these are the numbers that make sense. And if this seller or this wholesaler don't does not want to do the deal at these numbers, well then we'll just straight up and down walk away because like no deal is better than a bad deal. So. I guess that's just my two little sins from me just kind of traveling last week. If does anybody have like a, I don't know, like a thought or opinion on that? I don't know. I just, I wanted to share that. Okay. I mean, emotions, that's why you got to get keep out of everything. I mean, emotions tend to get you in trouble no matter what you're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point. Um, All right. Well, let's, let's, let me share my screen here. I've got a couple um, tabs pulled up. Can I say something real quick, Nolan? Yeah, 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 of course. So I went to a DFW CRE meetup. Yeah, it's such a big pond here. Um, it was interesting, like, because people ask you, you know, well, what do you want to do? And, um, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest because I'm not going to get myself in a situation where I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. Right. So it's like, I'm learning obviously. And, uh, you know, ask me questions like, well, do you know your numbers? You know, it's like, cause you know, I just told them, you know, I'm looking for people to meet, right. As long as like brokers are all of these. And I did talk to one broker and that was the first thing that, well, do you know your numbers? And I'm just like, well, I'm not going to waste your time if you're asking me that, you know, and then it's like, you know, well, what do you want to do? What are you looking to buy? What asset class? Look, you know, all of that. And um, I have the same asset class um, desires that you do and telling people my why, you know, and I think that it would be interesting to hear if you've ever come across this because here bigger is better. Right. I mean, like, it's just a different animal in this DFW area. Um, but I don't care. And that's kind of what I told them is like, you know, I'm not, I don't ever want to be the person that owns a 500,000 square feet. I don't ever want to be the person who owns a million square feet under one roof. That's right. right. Um, I said, because to me, I want to work with the people. First of all, I love the blue collar people and I want to help the people. I think we've talked about when me and you first talked, you know, it's like, I want to help other people through this as well. And like we've talked about through here is helping the seller um, get the most out of their sell. And, you know, they may be exiting as in retiring or having to sell their business or whatever. Um, and it can be emotional time for them or an inheritance. It can be emotional. Um, but um, just wanting to help the seller, but also, knowing that to me what i've seen is also your price per square foot is a lot higher on a smaller building than it is on these huge buildings and then also those are institutional money and um just trying to get people to understand that it doesn't mean i don't i don't know i don't care what they ever think but it's just almost like they look at you like, well, your expectations aren't very high. And I'm just like, I don't really care. Like, those are the people that I want to work with. I want to give back to. And those are the asset classes that I want to own. Because one of those won't hurt you if vacancy, right? If two-thirds of one of those is vacant or a whole one. But take a whole 500,000 square foot building or a million square feet like we have here. And those that can bankrupt the person. So those were kind of my things that I had to navigate through um, with those conversations here, just because it is a little bit different game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, and um, trying to figure out where those will be. And I think they're going to be outside of this area for sure. Outside of this immediate DFW area in the smaller yeah. towns. Well, you know, again, every, every area in, in, you know, location is different. And it's, I sent an article in our, on our, um, yeah. our community forum just talking about, you know, basically those big warehouses. Again, there's, there's not like not demand for them, but it's declining. And there's increased demand for those, you know, not smaller warehouses, but like 
25,000 feet, you know, people are looking for that. And it's kind of, I had a conversation this morning with a guy and he's kind of asking those same questions. Hey, I'm, I'm interested in helping you buy stuff, whatever. And he's like, what, what are you looking to buy? And I was like, look, man, I, and, and again, this is different for everyone's, you know, situation, but I was like, if we can figure out like all of us, if we can figure out exactly what you're looking for and meaning like, I, I get down even, and I think I've mentioned this, but like getting into the even the revenue of what that business owner is earning, that way you're going to be able to be that much more specific to where when an opportunity does present itself, you know, you're going to know for sure that it's going to make that it's going to that it's going to pencil when you run your numbers. Like you tell them, you know, because again, the 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 price of the building is not really relevant depending upon the rent, right? If we can, if if the rent checks, it's always going to make sense to purchase at a certain price. But you know, anywhere from like five to thirty thousand square feet, and you can have your business owner earn anywhere from two to twenty million in revenue. The reason why, again, I'm not telling people what to do. I just think that those like that little twenty two to twenty million dollar box is 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 large enough to where you're not dealing with the mom and pops where they're not really business owners they're just kind of like they they bought themselves a job when they acquired a building but anything more than 20 you know 20 million dollars in income then you start getting into more of the conglomerates and and more of like bigger businesses and so i like to have like this little buffer because 2 to 20 million again is like i look at it as a really sweet spot because they're not they're not looking for 2000 feet and they're not looking for 50000 feet they're looking for in that little box of again 5 to 30000 feet but they look at you know in, in every, every business there's variable costs and fixed costs and as long as they have the they're generating seven figures of income and in gross revenue that fixed cost of rent is always going to be um, a part of running their business. They don't look at rent and trying to pinch pennies on their fixed costs. They look at, if you really think about it, business owners are trying to really generate their revenues on their, on their variable costs. And you can, you can study this. I'm sure, you know, all the entrepreneurial videos and books and things. It's like you, you know, we had a, uh, we had a guy, maybe you guys are, um, are baseball fans, uh, Tommy Lasorda. He was a, the manager of the the Dodgers, the LA Dodgers before he died. But he always said that you, you win a third, you lose a third and you, you make your money in that last third of, of, of the season. Like you got 160 games, you lose a third of them, you win a third of them. It's what you do with that last third is what makes or breaks your season. And so to, to correlate that, that over to business and how these business owners are viewing their, 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 bottom line and their balance sheet and their profit and loss statements, they look at variable costs as their ways to really create their margins. The fixed cost is going to be fixed no matter what. It's like, it doesn't matter if they're making an extra trillion or they're making no trillion. The cost, those fixed costs are going to be the same. It's like, we're going to make more money if we can increase pro, if we can increase revenue and then decrease expenses. But the fixed cost is always going to be relevant on their balance sheet. So that to, to come full circle, that's the reason why I like to focus on those two to twenty million dollar businesses because they always focus in that five to thirty thousand square foot you know warehouse space. But most importantly, they don't ever um, they don't ever question rent as being a part of doing business. Does that make sense to everybody? Like at least the way that I view that. Like not saying that I'm the expert here, just saying like that's the way that I viewed it and the way that my business owners, my tenants look at like rent it's just a it's just a fixed cost of doing business so they don't ever question rent and that's why the ease of the ACH and never having to think twice in the the you know the longevity of the lease of you know 5 to 7 plus years they look and say okay I can forecast out yeah we have 3% rent bumps every year in the lease but I know I can forecast out my fixed cost for the next 5 years versus another tenant who has a maybe a full service lease where the market is dictating their rent, it's going to really screw with their fixed cost because it's not really a fixed rent would not really be a fixed cost anymore. It's going to be more of a variable cost because the fluctuation, because the market is what's dictating, dictating the actual rental income or the, the, the cost of rent. So that's what I've discovered as like being a 
I would say is like a as a huge factor when I'm underwriting these buildings in these locations. If you can find where, and then that when you speak with your leasing agent, if you can go in and talk with your leasing agent, and they say, "Hey, look, the most important thing I'm looking for are businesses within this." gross income, what type of property location and sizes are these business owners looking for? He's going to provide you with, I mean, all sorts of, you know, opportunities with these businesses that he, that he has property or business owners looking to lease space. And at that point, that's what's going to allow you to go out in the marketplace and find that particular building that's hopefully vacant. And then you can negotiate that deal with the seller, you know, some type of land contract or whatever, place that tenant and then you've just improved the value of the real estate probably double because it was vacant before. Does that, does that kind of kind of went on a little tangent there, but does that kind of make sense to everybody on kind of how I arrived at like those step-by-step processes? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Well, let me, did, um, did you have any in the last, whatever you want to call this thing that we just walked through, did you have to let anybody out of a lease? In 2020 or 21? No, no, I, I didn't let any, well, I didn't have to do anything because. Well, I know, but they, I mean. Well, they, well, I look at it this way. I had, at the time I had three tenants. I think I had three, maybe four tenants, depending upon what part of 2020. But all of my tenants were, they're, they were in the distribution business. So they were maybe having some trouble on, on the distribution cycle or whatever. The, the the distribution chain or whatever, but their businesses were were on fire. So they they weren't even hesitating on. I mean, like I said before, it's like they're 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 looking for more space. I mean, I, I have a I have a meeting with um with with one of my tenants tomorrow morning. Actually, we're gonna sit down and just have some coffee. He's in town. He lives in Atlanta. Um, but he has a last mile pharmaceutical distribution business, and he's got ten thousand feet, and he's like, man. We've got like so much business right now that we're looking to have a second location, you know. So maybe that's rare, maybe it's not, but uh, not all the pharmaceuticals probably. Well, pharmaceutical yeah, is on fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. He and so in in he he's just like it's it's just amazing how it's just it's cranking up. And he's like, we want to extend this lease, and if you've got other buildings and other locations, we we'd be open to looking at that. So I think it's just. And, and, and I've said it before, but like having that conversation with your, like being able to sit down and like talk strategy with your tenant versus having maybe a residential tenant who is, you know, a waiter at the Red Lobster. When was the last time you ever sat down at, at, you know, wherever and talked business strategy with one of your residential tenants? You know, it, it candidly just never happens. You know, it would, it would never happen unless, you know, I don't know. I, I I can't imagine it happen versus actually talking strategy with your business owner tenant as they want to increase their revenue and then they want to go and rent more space from you. It, it's like, it's just a different way of, um, of going about things, but. Um, and then right. I learned yeah. two more things is one is that here in this area, they're finding that it's less expensive to build light industrial so there's several people that are building and then it is to go in and buy because cap rates are not just not right. And then two, um, the new thing for retail rental space that's starting to enter into this area that people are looking for is that um, it's popular overseas, but it'll be places that will have kind of like a show front in the front of the store. Um, but they want huge warehouse space in the back. So they're keeping because a lot of their stuff you see, but they can get it. But they're, it'll be because they're running e-commerce a lot. Oh, wow. It's like so a, a hybrid of a flex space, it sounds like. Yeah. So yeah, that's that, kind of, if anybody's exploring retail space, that's something that is kind of navigating into the DFW market. And it might be interesting for your market as well. Yeah. 100%. I've got a building. And if you guys are, um, and we can talk about this at the very end, Mel's kind of been awesome by taking charge of our, our in-person event. But um, I've got a building that has kind of that flex space where it's it's office and like nice, you know, in the front. And then there's warehouse in the back. And that's, people cannot, they can't get enough of it right now. It's, it's 
it's just the best of both worlds. It's a two for one. Um, okay. So let me share my screen here. Of course, this is our stuff. I wanted to see if, does anybody have, um, you know, we, it was, it's been a couple of, it's probably been a month since we went, since we went over our pro forma last, I wanted to hear if you guys, you know, have gotten a chance to kind of play around with it some more, run some numbers on it. Um, what kind of questions do y'all have about the pro forma? Cause I can go into, I, I've got my, my seller financing document pulled up and I can tell how to position that. Um, Connor saying something, um, how to position that. And then, um, but I want to just kind of go over just some questions about our pro forma and where things are. Connor, go ahead, man. Let's see what you got. Uh, yeah, no, I've been playing around with it. It's been super helpful. Um, I definitely like using it. I guess I had some questions about maybe a couple line items. I didn't totally know how to use or what, what they changed exactly. So one of them is the, the hurdle rate. And I know that that changes like the whack, but I'd like to learn a little bit more about like the thought behind the hurdle and how you use it. So the hurdle, the hurdle rate is more, this is when I think of it, it's more of, um, I think of it as like a second position mortgage. So like, of course the, the, the main metric that this thing is tied to is, is getting the weighted average cost of capital, the WAC metric, which is over here on returns. So, you know, like you said, it's at 8.4. We adjust this thing to 12. It's going to go up to probably like nine, two, I bet. No, eight, eight. Well, it's a little bit higher, I guess, but, but basically what that will do is, and I look at this as more as if I'm borrowing money, let's say I'm borrowing, um, perfect example is my property I have, it's like a, I bought it for 350 grand and I put like 50,000 into the property. So I'm in it for total, total investment of like $400,000. I borrowed at the time, like $260,000 I borrowed, I borrowed $280,000 from the bank, from um, like Renaissance Bank. And then I borrowed $120,000 from an investor. And he, and he did not, he didn't, um, he did not have any equity in the property. I have a hundred percent equity in that building. He took a second position behind my bank and I paid him 12%. You know, he's got like a 24 month balloon or something because I'll refinance or whatever. But I looked at this number as just like when I was running the math, I just said, okay, 12% is what I'm paying him. And then I went over here to kind of this return and I said, okay, the whack is 8.8. You know, what is, is it actually going to be better or worse if I borrowed money or if I gave up, you know, gave up equity on that deal? So it's not really like a a huge metric. I think I just have that on there. Oh, that was wrong. That was a wrong metric right there. I was wondering why that didn't change. I was like, wait, I saw that. So I was changed the wrong number last time. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So 8.4, I was going to say 8.4. We pump this thing up to 12%. It goes to 8.8. Yeah. So I was going to say, so of course, like the higher the, that hurdle rate, which is again just another cost um, of doing business. Essentially, I just looked in, in like when I ran the numbers, I looked all the way at the bottom and I said, okay, my cash flow to equity right here, I'm bringing in this amount of money. My cash on cash return on this, you know, again hypothetically on that deal would be 10.2 percent. On paper, the deal would pencil, meaning that this is basically my blend, like the way to average cost of capital is basically like a blended, a blended debt service. And this is like my loan constant. If you can imagine that, like this is my blended loan constant, almost 9%. And so if my cost of capital is less than my cash on cash return, then the deal will pencil because at that point, maybe I'm catching a spread of a couple percentage, which as you guys know, I look at it more from a depreciation standpoint, not so much a cash flow percentage or cash flow standpoint. But as long as this cash on cash return supersedes that that weighted average cost of capital, or basically my blended debt service, um, the deal the deal will make sense. Um, and of course, if this thing goes lower, you know, to six percent, it's going to make that 
that blended, you know, weighted average cost of capital go go lower. Does that make sense, Connor? I hope I hope I didn't get too in the weeds, but that's kind of the way that I that I viewed it at least. Yeah, a little bit. So if I've got bank financing at eight percent and like I borrowed money from someone else at twelve percent, should I set the hurdle at twelve? That's what I would do. I would set the hurdle at twelve because what that what this will do is so if you got if you got the bank money at eight percent and you got this at twelve percent, what was that number? So let's go back. So eight point eight. Let's say you got bank debt at six percent. That should, yeah, that should that that will change the weighted average cost of capital. So, so go ahead. If I don't, if I don't have any sort of second debt or mortgage, should I make the hurdle zero? I would. So, like, let's go back to eight. Hurdle zero. Six point four. So I almost say when you have no when you have no investor or you have no second position, I could be wrong here. Don't hold me to this, but your weighted average cost of capital. Oh, that well. Here's the thing: the whack is going to be different. This is this is probably three hundred three. The weighted average cost of capital is going to be different if you do not have an investor or a second position mortgage. So, like, you got this thing at ten percent because. 8% interest. Let's look at the amortization. Well, there's a loan constant on here. Where is it? Here we go. Loan constant. So if you think about it, the loan constant will is basically the principal and interest that you're paying back every single year. So like basically you're paying the bank 8% in interest, but you're also paying the bank an extra 2% in the principal repayment. When you introduce a second investor or equity or second position lien, that's just going to bump up. That's just going to bump up your, your weighted average cost of capital. Um, I look at at the end of the day, as long as my, you know, you can look at that. I, I have this second position mortgage over here. I got that little calculator on there. So let's say three. This, so I'm, I'm looking at, Again, I'm kind of I'm kind of going back and forth, and I know this spreadsheet like the back of my hand, so I don't want to be like jer- joshing back and forth. But I look at the equity that we got to inject in this particular deal that's pulled up. So three seventy six, five three three, at eight percent interest rate. If we go down. Let's see here. Let's let's do this at like let's say three seventy five. So. We're basically borrowing the entire. This is where like it gets cool for the second position mortgage, because basically I'm paying the the seller to finance the down payment, and you pay him, you know, that monthly mortgage. But even if you're only bringing in eighty five hundred bucks, look what your cash on cash return is on that deal. You know, it's like six hundred percent. Which of course it goes to infinite if you have less money. If you have no money in the deal. Um, mm-hmm. I know I kind of talked around there. I'm trying to trying not to bounce around like that. But I, did that answer your question at all? I I don't I I need to learn how to break it down to where it's like simple. Yeah, but, no, that's helpful. I was thinking that one thing um, could be cool to have on this spreadsheet is like if each item had like a note in the cell that sort of explained in a sentence like, oh, what this does would be kind of like nifty to have, especially for things like hurdle rate and like some of the trickier ones. Just oh, like, okay, so I can just click on that, and that that note will appear. Yeah, and then then people can hover over 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 it, and they'll know like, oh, that's what this thing does, and how to use it. Okay. Oh, dang. Okay. Oh, all right. Dang, that's really cool. I have to do that. Okay, I've not done that before. Hmm. Yeah, and then it saves you from like having to explain it. Uh, it'll be more self-explanatory maybe oh wow okay man that's awesome i did not know that i could do that okay well you just educated me all right that's on my to-do list now this week connor okay great great (laughs) that's awesome okay cool i i I was it's funny i I posted something on the school that i i did a uh i did a podcast episode about all those trying to explain it now i'll just put it on this pro forma to where then every time it just like auto populates Mm -hmm. okay Dang, that's awesome. Okay, cool. Thanks, Connor. I appreciate you educate me on something that I again I'm not very savvy, but that's how it goes. Okay. Um, any other thoughts or questions as you know, we're kind of rolling around on the pro forma or anything in between. Man, 
I'll ask another one. Yeah, bring that on. Uh, so you got the discounted cash flow on your returns page. Is there any way to adjust that? I know you're not big into like internal rate of return, but I was curious if I could change it. The 1%. Is that something that can be changed or it's built in? No, no. I think you can definitely change that. Um, I mean, you think it'd be more accurate to have it be like 4% these days, considering people can get higher returns elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at it right here, basically I would say, you know, you can go, 4% and then 0.4, right? I mean, isn't that how it would look, right? Am I crazy? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know. Mm, okay. I, you might, I mean, again, I'm not like a manual guy, but I guess you can manually put that in there or unless you, you know, there's a way to excel it out. Um, yeah, I'm not an expert. Did I answer your question though? Yeah, I was just curious. I'm not a, an Excel expert either, but. I don't. You know, the, the discounted cash flow course is just more that I, I agree with you. That's more of an inflation number. Um, in my, at least my understanding is, and that's probably a good move of, of, in, of increasing that. Shit, I might need to do that too. Um, I don't really look at that number. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I look at these, I look at the returns page. I don't really focus on this page again. I'm not telling anybody what to do. My, 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 Kaylin, my main focus is on this depreciation page. Like that's kind of where my main is like, after I put in all my metrics, like, you know, when I find a deal, like my main, my main game is I want to make sure that I've got the right square footage and I've got the right value of the land. And then I negotiate my ass off on this purchase price. Because of course, those are really kind of the two metrics because you can't depreciate the land but everything else is going to basically auto-populate for the depreciation after you put in those two variables. Just because, of course, the depreciation and having that that bonus depreciation. But um, I, I think what you're talking about, Connor, just increasing this discounted cash flow to four percent that might be something I need to do. Like I just have not, yeah. I have just haven't done it. So something I could look into for sure. Probably probably do probably update. Okay, cool. Okay. Thanks for bringing that up. I would not have thought about looking at that or changing that. I'll definitely start putting those notes in there too. Um, all right. Anybody else have thoughts, questions, or anything like that about, about the pro forma? All right. Well, we'll go back. Um, has anybody had a chance to kind of go over or make a copy of this, of this like profit and loss? Has anybody had a chance to get their eyes on this? I know it's um, I kind of made it more of a, a template-ish, um, you know, with Main Street and stuff like that. But I wanted to give everyone just kind of like a view of like how I how I do my math every week, every month. Um, has anyone got it? I mean, if you don't have a when you don't have a property yet, it's 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 kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, but I just didn't know if anybody has had a chance to kind of play around with this at all either. Um, well, I've Okay. Well, it's no big deal. It's it's not a it's not a huge deal. I just wanted to. I, I do have a question. So uh, I see you have Buildium, uh, and I also use Buildium. Uh, I assume are you just using that for single family rental or residential, and you're not using it for commercial? I just have not deleted that. To be honest with you, I uh, I don't have any properties in there anymore. <laughs> I don't own any rentals. I just have not deleted the um I just haven't deleted the the thing yet, to be honest with you. I probably should do that too. Um gotcha. it's one of those things I've doing 30 things, same as everybody else. And uh, I just have not gotten to around to closing that account yet and stuff. Which I probably no problem. I, yeah, I was just curious if you were utilizing building I, was, I was. What's what's on your mind about that? Oh no, no, I just uh because a lot of what your kind of roughly what you're tracking could feed from Buildium in Excel. And then essentially, because Buildium exports in the same format with the Excels, and you just simply write formulas to calculate all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're not having to come in and manually plug in all this information, it read it from Buildium and then populate your returns. I mean, that'd be smart too. Um, I haven't. Um, I, I would say this, especially when I, um, 
the the only reason why I like to, and again, this is not right or wrong, because um, you got to populate the information somewhere. I think that I've, I've got a uh, a business manager that I've taught how to input my information on there, how to like pay, you know, collect ACHs, service debt, all that kind of stuff to where every week or every month we get on, you know, we sit down together and discuss where we were the the, the month before, you know, because there's a couple of buildings that I pay um, utilities on, you know, I get reimbursed for them, but you know, I'm the one that's paying them. And um, I don't know. I just, I like having a, a, her manually input that information just I don't know, versus a computer. It's just my, me being a control guy, I guess. I don't know. But I could probably be better about that, I guess. That's a, it's another thing I think. I don't know. What's your thoughts? Well, yeah, it doesn't matter what, what you're using. Either way, you're doing manual inputs, uh, whether you're using Buildium, QuickBooks, Excel. So it really just depends on if it's generating the reports that you need. Um, you know, one of the big things I've found with like a buildium, for example, is that I'm able to give third party owners or investors access to the properties that they have money in. Oh, and so they're they're able to look at the financials anytime they want. And they don't have to call me and say, Hey, you know, how's our property doing? They can just log in, look at all the transactions. Um, and generate any reports and then Buildium automatically issues the 1099s and everything that they need oh, at the wow. end of the year. And so that, you know, QuickBooks does the same thing. Uh, QuickBooks, I had a lot of problems with trying to do property management, this kind of tracking, especially when you try to build in the paying out owners function as well. QuickBooks can't do it right, which is why there's property management software. Um, so no, I don't have a, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with what you're doing. You've got to manually enter it somewhere, somehow. Yeah. Well, again, I, you know, I, I think you're totally right. I, I don't, um, I think the difference is, and I'll think again, I don't know if it's right or wrong. It's, um, in any time that I've got capital raised from investors, it's, they don't have any say in anything. And I also send them monthly reports anyway. So it's like, I just kind of say, Hey, here's where we were last week or last month. Here's where we're at on the year. And I just kind of like do a quick little PDF download. And it's not very, I wouldn't say it's official, right? It's not official, but <laughs> I mean, candidly, like, what are they going to say? You know, they've invested with me. They're thrilled because they're getting cash flow every month. Like they don't really have any questions to ask, but um, and my account, my account actually was like, this is really great. You haven't like, I actually can see everything. It's, it's all here. So he didn't have any, he didn't have any concerns about it. So, um, right, wrong or indifferent. Um, I've taught my, my assistant how to do this now. So maybe I have to spend a couple more bucks trying to teach her how to do building. I don't know, but I just need to leave. <laughs> I, I wouldn't rock the boat. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I want to go back onto that train or not, but. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's go over. Um, all right. Let's ask this question to y'all. Have you guys gotten into our, the, the Google drive and gotten a chance to look at, or even play a little bit with this little seller financing solution? So, so what this is, and I, and I think I shared it last time we went over it a little bit, but just to, just to kind of go back this, um, this is, this is, it's not very pretty, right? Like it doesn't look like it's like, you know, built out and it's fancy on Canva or anything like that. And I think somebody just joined on to it. Um, Zach did. Okay. So if you, it's in our little Google, it's in our little Google mastermind or Google, uh, drive, but you guys can pull it up. But basically this is what I do when I'm positioning the seller to finance the down payment, because and again, I don't remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago regarding this, but how I'm positioning these deals is, is I go in and say, look, you know, Mr. Seller, you are in the steel fabrication business. You're in the blind distribution business. You, you're an expert in what you do. I'm an expert in buying real estate and buying buildings, exactly like what you're selling me. The thing is, though, is that I'm really in the business of squeezing every ounce of juice possible out of this deal to make it a winner. And that includes you making more money as well. So I say something along those lines, not really salesy, but just like, 
okay, what's this guy about to say? But then I say, look, if you were to never meet me and you were to sell this to somebody else, this is exactly how you would do this deal, this top scenario. This left column doesn't really matter that much because that's what you know the seller is or the, the tenant's paying. But I said, this column does matter. And this is what you're selling to me for. This is what you bought it for. This is what you're paying off at closing. Here's some closing costs. And again, that's, you know, that's just a variable. So you're going to get closing proceeds of 762 out of the gate, or you know, when we close this deal, that's what we're going to walk with. But so that's a capital gain of $675,000. But because you also just sold your business or you did whatever, you're going to be in the highest tax bracket, meaning you're going to be your loud partner is going to be Uncle Sam and you got to cut him a check for 235. So your real walk away number is not this 762, it's 525. So I said, you can do that deal. And if your wife thinks that that's the best move and you know we got the cash, we can do this deal. But let me introduce you an idea that, again, is going to squeeze more juice out of this thing and you're going to mathematically make more money. Are you opposed to like hearing this out? And man, not only will they say, well, what do you mean? Like, what's what are you talking about? Then you present this idea. And I think the biggest, the biggest point that I can make when you position seller finance is you don't mention anything about seller financing. You don't mention second position liens. You don't mention them again, taking second position behind a bank. You don't the what the 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 words that I use is I say leaving money in the deal. How much, you know, you would leave this amount of money in the deal, you leaving this money in the deal. And that way it never, nobody's mind starts to question like, well, what, you know, what is a second position? Cause then you start to, if you think about it, then you're using, you're using language. Again, imagine, like I said a minute ago, a guy that owns a steel fabrication company. When you start saying things like second position lien mortgage and things like that, you're getting out of his realm of understanding. Therefore, you're going to confuse him. Therefore, the heavy door closes. But if you use things like, hey, Mr. Seller, what if you left X amount of dollars in this deal and then you saved yourself X amount of dollars in taxes and you took home X amount extra dollars in savings? That resonates with people because that seller most likely when it comes to real estate is in third grade. You know, even, even a minute ago, like if you think about it, Andrew's saying things like 1099s to our investors and be like, that sounds to us who are real estate people, we can comprehend those that verbiage and that language because we live it every day. But when you start speaking that that th- those words to people that necessarily aren't in the real estate business, you say things like, again, limited partner, debt service coverage ratio, like you said earlier, Mike, it's like, those 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 words make sense to us, but not necessarily to that seller in that particular moment. And when then those when those words come up, it almost feels philosophically, it feels as if that seller's like, okay, is this guy trying to get something by me? And then then they start to get defensive, and then that idea is immediately shut off. So the way that I position it, and especially this deal I just positioned last week and got this like this exact deal, is Basically, I said to this dude, you know, here's the thing, you know, again, this income straight, you know, income, my debt service to West Alabama Bank. Here's the difference, though, Bobby. Instead of you catching a check at closing for $762,000, you're going to, you know, what if you were to leave $300,000 in this deal? Because, because you got to remember this way, too. Those sellers are losing their stream of income as well. So that was a huge point that I didn't think about that when you guys are positioning um, is a big deal to those sellers, especially if they're like in their early 60s and they're retiring and they're selling their business and they're selling their building. A huge idea that really that I kind of I overlook is their income stream. They, they, they get this big chunk, which is great, but now it's a race against time if you really think about it. Now they got to like basically have their money outlive them. So them having new money come in each and every month is is like a godsend, right? So you say, so not only am I, you saying something, Mike? Oh, um, so not only sorry, no. <laughs> okay, so so not only is are you you know you know you're going to pay less taxes, you're going to receive a check from me every single month in some time, you know, in an interest only, you know, in interest. 
And then in 36 months after we've separated those capital gains into two separate years. So again, you know, you can go over all this stuff, leaving money in the deals, you know, the closing costs, all that stuff is the same. But you notice in this portion, you're going to walk away, you know, with a little bit less money, you know, in, in, or at least, you know, the, um, the closing proceeds, you're going to have less in closing proceeds. But after you leave some money in this deal and you separate the capital gains into two separate years, you're going to walk away with a difference of $114,000. Now, to some people, that's not going to bat anyone's eye if they're making millions and millions and millions. And they just want to walk away. But to somebody that's closing a deal and they're going to walk away with 500 grand or they're going to walk away with 600, almost 40 grand, that's a big, that's a big difference, you know? And, and I discovered that to where when you're presenting it this way, it's as if you're being a cons like you're consulting with them and you become this, this, this seller's consultant to where it's like, look, you're, they're the expert in their business, but you're the expert in buying and selling real estate. And I want to help you, Mr. Bobby Moon, squeeze every single ounce of, of juice out of this deal as you possibly can. We do it this top way like this. You're not going to squeeze every ounce of juice out of it. It's, it's mathematically not going to happen. But then at the very end, what you do and what I did is I said, now, look, I don't have a crystal ball, Bobby, but go talk to your president. And I gave him this one. I gave him a one pager. I just printed this thing out and sent it to him or gave it to him when we sat down. And I said, now go back and talk to your account. You go, go review it with your wife. You know, go, go talk to everybody that you want. Try and poke a hole in this thing. I don't have a crystal ball, but I will be willing to bet that when I talk to you in the next three days, you're going to ask if you can leave more money in this deal. You want to put a bet on it. And Bob is like, oh, okay. He's a, he's a country boy. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, no, 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 no. He's kind of talking in that like Southern accent voice. And, and he calls me back. Like this was like a Tuesday when I met him, they call me back on Friday. He's like, well, no, I don't really know how you decided or how you did that. But he was like, because before I was asking for him to keep 200,000 in this deal or 220,000 in this deal, which would have been 20% of the one, one. And he's like, do you think that, uh, you think that I could leave $300,000 in that deal? And he's like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you did it, but, and I was like, I'm telling you, Bobby, this is, this is the mathematical. So I said, so he went back to his accountant essentially, and he discovered, okay, when I sell this business and I sell this building, you know, what's going to be the number that I got to walk away with, you know, in the first year. And then what kind of amount of money do I want to get? And I actually got him at 8%. So it's 2000 a month, but I write him a check every month for $2,000 but you see that he's got a difference of almost $132,000 in difference. And I call and I talked to my accountant about it. And I said, Hey, can you tell me where I'm off on these numbers? Can you tell me where I'm off? And what he told me was um, on this, on this bracket right here, basically I'm off by like maybe a couple thousand bucks, like not right or wrong. It, this, this tax bracket will just depend upon. Um, all right. Hang on, Mike. One sec. This tax bracket will just depend upon like your state and your, you know, federal. And, um, but most importantly too, you can break that down even more. Like, and he's like another, in, the, in my account told me like, there's another way you can position it and say, if you've got, and I didn't know this, but if you got a, um, if you've got a stock market portfolio, you made, you know, 500 grand. Now it's down to 300 grand. You got $200,000. Yes, What's that? Yes. Hey, Greg. My bad. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <Get> yourself. <laughs> um, but long story short, I don't know what I was going with that. But but what he was telling me is that you can, um, if someone has a $200,000 loss in their stock portfolio, they're only allowed to take on their federal taxes, they can only take a $3,000 loss. Okay? So think about per year. So if you had $200,000 loss in one year, yeah. right? Talk about 2020 or whatever and a stock market loss, you can only, and you realize those losses, you can only take that loss for, I mean, $3,000 until you die basically. But he goes, if you have a seller that maybe had some losses in the stock market, and then he's got these capital gains in his building when he sells it, he can take those path, those losses from his portfolio and offset those against his capital gains in his property. It's like, so that's just another tactic that you can use when, you know, you're positioning this, this, uh, this deal. So, all right, Mike, I didn't mean to, to hold you off like that. What's on your mind, man? No, no, no worries. I'm just curious. Like when, 
know, like a deal like this and you go back to your bank, do they say anything about you being 100% financed on this deal? Do they not care because you got the lease that covers it regardless? Or I'm just kind of curious how that conversation goes. Man, my, I'll be candid. The the bank that I worked with on this one, this West Alabama bank, they they actually um, they actually were just like, hey, why don't you call the seller and see if he'll finance you the down payment? That way you can be in it for no money. So these guys were just like, because, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, these banks, of course, are in first position and they're lending based on the collateral. They look at the lease. They like the lease. Um, they like the fact that, you know, if you look at it, the income on this thing is twelve thousand five. It's it's actually like twelve thousand like five hundred four. It's like five fifty a foot. But basically, my my debt service to these guys is like it's like I don't know fifty. What is it fifty like four fifty seven or something? It's something like that. Whatever. But you can see the net cash flow on this thing is like it's really humming, and that's also at the, out of the gate interest only. So I'll probably have to bump that up to closer to seventy five hundred. But but what I mean though is that these guys are like. If this Nolan guy gets abducted by aliens, like we got a great asset. We 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 got a really great building. The appraisal on this building came back at 1895. So it's like a really good, like it's a good deal. And so the bank's just like, we don't really care because candidly, it's a contract between you and the seller anyway. And so the seller really has to believe in you know you making your mortgage payments back. All right, Zach, what you got, man? Yeah, so when you when you go to the bank and you you're financing the seventy five percent, do they take and say your seller financing the other twenty five percent from the seller? Are they is the bank using the closing proceeds from the seller to pay that pay that twenty five percent? Are you going out and getting private money and then paying yourself paying the seller back after the after the sell? No, no. So nothing. That's that's kind of the magic is at closing. What it looks like on the HUD statement is me bringing three hundred thousand dollars of my own cash to the deal. It's on the HUD statement, and what it looks like though is it's a second position mortgage. That's all it is. So you've got the bank's debt of on a on a debit of eight eighty or whatever it is, or eight, it'll be eight hundred thousand, and then you've got another debit of. $300,000, which is a second position mortgage. And so it looks as if I'm the one debiting the title company. Does that make sense? Like it'd be the same thing as me just writing a check to the title company for, for 300 grand. But in reality, that seller is not going to receive the $300,000 at closing. So look at it this way. Let's look at this like kind of estimated settlement statement. So I guess it would be a credit. Sorry, not a debit. That's on me. Um, but like, you know, first first position loan from a lender, it's 800 grand, you know, whatever. On the, This is a different deal, of course. But like you'd have one other credit of a second position or second position mortgage on this credit. And basically that just means that the seller has like less money due to him at closing. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So so you're, you're telling the title company – originally that pretty much those net proceeds from the sale are is your is your debit to is that second mortgage and then they're just placing that second that lien that second lien in the seller's name or however that works so if we look over here estimated settlement statements credit you know this is what we're buying it or this is what we're selling it for one seven you know pay off this mortgage uh this doesn't really do a very good justice here but like let's say normally there'd be due to seller nine hundred sixty four thousand dollars if you mm-hmm. put more line item on here and it said second position mortgage, or if I put it right underneath this title company, and I said second position mortgage of $300,000, what he would receive in the proceeds would be $664,000. He's leaving gotcha. $300,000 in the deal. And the title company doesn't know the difference because, because it looks as if that money was submitted at closing. So gotcha. Okay, that's where I was getting at. I didn't know if like someone was like, "Hey, are you gonna?" There's not a double cashier check or whatever. However, that works towards the that payment. Yeah, there 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 is legitimately no money being. Maybe I got to pay like a thousand bucks or something for like. Sure. I mean, whatever, right? You know, some fee that wasn't covered or something or whatever. 
but but what it looks like it's like a you know million one any mortgage payoff and then it's got um you know second position mortgage and then whatever's left over is what he walks with at closing gotcha okay you don't have to show up with money and uh and again you you know there's bankers out there that some banks don't like second position liens which you know don't work with them honestly because they don't have risk appetite because there are banks out there there's lenders out there again i've i've experienced it where there's like four of them i got in my back pocket that will be like candidly we don't care we don't care if there's a second position because we really really like the asset because we know this nolan guy brings us good deals and if for some reason he doesn't make his mortgage payment well then guess what we've got a really solid asset and you know the show goes on and we're not exposed the way the seller is so it's the banks 90% of the banks don't have any issue with it. It's just the 10% of banks where – here's one more piece of advice that I want to answer that because that's a, that's a good little one to end on or like a little rabbit to – I can go down this rabbit hole. But when you – and I told my brother this. My brother's trying to get into real estate, you know, whatever. He's got he's to – he actually just bought a building like on Friday. But um, what he was trying to do is present to bank – like think about it this way. Think about it this way. When you go out of the gate and you let's let's say I was you you don't know me from Adam, right? I'm just some random guy, whatever. And I came up to you, you had money, you were a bank, and I came up to you and I said, Hey, uh, Mr. Banker, I've got this sick ass deal where this tenant, you know, he's moving in, hasn't moved in yet. Um, you know, the sellers want to finance a down payment. Um, there's gonna be some, I'm gonna have all this, and I've got he's got this equipment in there that I'm gonna sell that I'm gonna have cash on. I put him on this balloon payment. I've got all these, I got all these like things going on. To you who you've never met me, I said, Well, by the way, will you lend me a million dollars? And I've got all these little things going, right? I would say, if I was the bank, I would that would be like a red flag. That would be like, okay, this dude is risky. He's got all these things going on. There, there's all this stuff happening around him. It's like, it's too much happening. It's just risky. I'm out. But if you do a base hit deal out of the gate where it's a million dollar building, whether you bring the capital yourself, whether you raise the money, whether you you draw it up, you do it the right way, and you just kind of go with, like you do, you do things the conservative, like normal way with this one bank, literally one time. And then six months later, you've serviced debt every month, You've built some equity in the, you know, you've you've got some cash going into the account, whatever, and then you go back to the bank and say, "Hey, Mister Sell or Mister Banker, I know this isn't a traditional deal, but I've got something that's kind of creative that maybe you might have an appetite for." And then at that point, the bank is going to look at you as more of a sophisticated purchaser, more so than as a liability or a risk, because out of the gate, if you just position this creative deal. The bank's going to flag you as a risk because they don't know if you can do a deal traditionally in the normal way. So if you do one of those deals, the traditional kind of normal route, which again, kind of the raising money or if you got the money or whatever, you can do the seller finance out of the gate. That's great. But when you go and borrow money first, the best way of doing that is doing it like the normal kind of traditional route. And then when you go back to them in six months, a year later with a new deal and you present this creative opportunity the sell that that banker is just going to look at you like, damn, maybe this guy is actually a really sophisticated guy, and he just has the ability to find these deals. And then that way, there's no red flags. There's no they're not getting spooked by anything. They just look at you as maybe a sophisticated borrower more so than just as a crazy lunatic trying to you know take advantage of them. Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah, totally. Um. So, all right, guys. Well, look, I'm going to get rolling here. My my kid just got home. Hey, check us out. This is my, this is my little buddy right here. <laughs> he just got home. Just got home from, I guess the, I guess his uh, grandma's house. So and it also is, it's seven Oh three. So I appreciate everyone staying on tonight. If um, what I'll do, of course, is I will just send the, um, the recording of this thing. And if anyone has other questions or thoughts for next week, I will just post it in our forum and then we'll just kind of have it again. I don't know how you guys want to do this, but if we want to have like maybe out of the gate, like an outline of a couple questions that you guys have on your mind, we'll just knock those questions out out of the gate. And then we can just kind of go into, you know, whatever we're talking about, or if somebody has a deal and how we can underwrite it or whatever. 
Um, that's kind of the way that I would that I would look at. You guys have any thoughts or issues with that? All good. Cool. All right, y'all. Appreciate everyone being on tonight. I'm, I'm excited about um, you know next week and everything. I'll shoot this um, out. I'll put this on the module so y'all can um, see that on school. And then as the week goes on, questions, thoughts, put it on our on our kind of chat board, and then we'll just um, plan on breaking those down next week and maybe uh, next Tuesday if that kind of works. Let's shoot that preliminarily out next Tuesday, kind of same time and everything if that works. Okay. Uh, Thanks, Noah. Thanks, y'all. Good. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. See you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.